Open your Bibles to James 1, verses 5 through 8. And uh, as I told you, I miss you guys. And uh, whenever time permits me, I get online. And when I go online, I listen to the sermons that you all enjoy every Sunday morning. And so this past Monday night, as I prepared for this sermon, I got online to listen to Al preach to you all last week. And I I heard Al, Al preaching his heart out. And he was explaining to us James 1, verses 1 through 4. And as I was listening to the sermon, I was able to contemplate on the text. And and I was able to contemplate on the significance of our trials. And I couldn't help but think of how privileged we are in the midst of our trials. And... uh, I want to do this very carefully and, and very take my time because, you see, I want to communicate to the people that I love that I know that many of you sit here this morning and many of you are going through suffering and you're going through trials, the likes that I have never in my life experienced. I am soberly aware of my limitations in the area of trials. And so it would not be my intentions whatsoever to minimize the suffering that you are currently enduring. My desire this morning, as we seek to hear from God's word, is to communicate to you the effect that the verses 1 through 4 that I was preaching had on my heart as I considered God's word and what the word says God is doing in the midst of our trials. And so... It is just simply amazing, as I was thinking, it was, it was just simply amazing to me that the God who has created everything out of nothing, the God who is in perfection, who, the God who was in perfection, and the God who will always be in perfection, the God who was never lonely. You see, he created us for his glory. He didn't create us out of necessity. He created us for his glory. And he created us and he put his image in us. And then we rebelled against him. And in our rebellion against him, he did not simply let us go to our own sinful desires and our own sinful cravings, but he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And it was amazing for me to think that this amazing God, this awesome, wonderful God, takes the rebellious like us, the ungodly, like us, the unrighteous, like us. And he saves us through his son, Jesus Christ. And, and it was amazing for me to think that not only did he save me, and not only am I standing before God, holy, positionally, but this amazing God, this creator of the universe, is also working In me, righteousness. He is working in me, holiness. He is working in me, wholeness. He is working in those who he has saved by his son. And even though we still sin, and even though we even at times revel against him, he is still working in us through our trials. And that was just amazing for me to consider. And as, as Al taught us last week, one of the means by which he makes us holy, one of the means by which this God is, is making us perfect, one of the means by, he's make, by which he's making us complete is to allow us to experience trials. And these trials are permitted to come into our lives for the purpose of ultimately making us perfect. That is the purpose. That is exactly what God is doing to us right now. He is perfecting us through trials and afflictions. God loves us so much that he is actively working in our lives in the midst of our trials. And he is producing in us 
steadfastness. And so James commanded us in verses 1 through 4, at the end of verse 4, he commanded us to let steadfastness have its full effect. And after giving us the benefits of enduring trials, James points us to the grace needed in order to endure righteously, in order to be made complete, in order to be able to count it all joy. And so we come to verses 5 and 8. So let's read verse 5 and 8. Verses 5 through 8. Read with me. It says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful, Lord, that you reached us when we wanted nothing to do with you. And so, Father, we thank you that you are at work in our hearts. Lord, we don't understand why we go through the things we do. Father, many times we just don't know what to do. But Lord, we know one thing. We know that you are a giving God. We know that you are a gracious God. We know that you are a merciful God. And so, Lord, we trust you. We believe. Help our unbelief, Lord. And I pray that this morning, Lord, you would encourage us. I pray that this morning your word would speak to us, Lord, in a powerful way. For your glory and for your sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, as I look around, I, I see many new faces and uh, many, many of you that I, I've never met. And so, for those of you who do know me, you guys know that I have children. For those of you who don't, um, just letting you know, my wife and I are young parents. And by young, I don't mean, ex- I, I'm talking about experience. I'm not talking about age. Uh, I'm actually a lot older than my wife and a lot older than maybe I, I may seem, but um, so we are proud parents of a four-year-old girl named Isabel, and we are proud parents of a three-year-old boy whom we name Sebi. His name is Sebastian, but we call him Sebi. And as parents of young children, we have the joy of making many decisions concerning our kids. As parents, many times we, we are anxious to teach our children for, for principles, You know, principles that they will be able to use throughout their whole lives. Principles that that will serve them as they grow up. And so a few weeks ago, I spoke to my wife concerning our children. And I came up with a brilliant idea. It It was just brilliant. I said to her, honey, I really want to teach Isabel and Sebi about money. Now remember, they are four and three. I want to teach them about money. I want, to, I want them to learn the principles of stewardship and giving. And my wife looked at me like she does many times with a smile in her face. And she said, honey, uh, they're little kids. And so after shamefully considering my wife's counsel for about two minutes... We took the kids out on our Monday family day. And I announced to my kids that starting that week, I would start giving them $4 a week. You should have seen their faces. I mean, my daughter just went crazy. It it was like she had won the lottery. She was, Dad, so what can I buy? Can I buy a car? Actually, she would probably say something like, can I use the $4 to go back to Miami? She misses you guys a lot. And so they went crazy. 
All the way back home, Isabel kept asking me for money. She's like, Daddy, when are you going to give me my $4? Daddy, when are you going to give me my $4? And uh, so when we got home, I gave her the $4. And she just looked at me with a huge smile in her face. And she said, Daddy, can I go buy some toys now? And I told her, sweetie, the first thing we do is we give $1 to Jesus. And the second thing we do is we save $3 in your piggy bank until you have enough money in order for you to be able to purchase something and be able to keep some money for savings. You see, my friends, I should have listened to my wife. (laughs) Because one weekend, all I had in my wallet was $4. (laughs) And it was that Monday night, you know, and daddy's getting ready, you know, to tuck his little princess into bed. And he's getting ready to pray with her. And right as daddy kneels down right next to her bed, going to pray with her, she she looks at me and she says to me, Daddy, where are my $4? (laughs) And so at that time, I looked at my wife, who's normally on the background, because she she does the singing, I do the praying. And so I, I look at my wife and I say, Honey, why didn't you stop me? Uh, you see, what has started as a joy for me to give money to my children in order to teach them some principles became a burden. One week, I delighted in giving. The next week, I was reproaching having to give my daughter $4. Brothers and sisters, no matter how generous we may be, we don't always delight in our giving. But this morning, through this text, James introduces us to a father who is single-minded. A father who is fully aware of the needs of his children and who beckons his children to ask. You see, unlike my poor example of parenting, we have a heavenly father who is always eager to give. And this is the claim that James is making in verses 5 through 8. James is letting us know through this text this morning, that God delights in giving wisdom to those who ask. My friends, in your trial, in your suffering, in your questioning, when you are asking God, God, why? What do I do? Why is this going on? God wants you to know this morning, I delight in giving wisdom. Come and ask. He is looking at us and he's saying through his word, I delight, come and ask me. And I will give you wisdom. And so James is going to walk us through these four verses And he's going to show us two things. He is going to show us that we need wisdom. We all need wisdom. And he is going to show us that God is is calling on us to ask in faith. So let us get right into the text. And and look with me to verse 5 and point number 1 on your notes. It says, we need wisdom. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. So James has exhorted us to count it all joy when we we meet various trials, right? Why? Why has he done that? Well, the reason behind the joy is that this amazing God, this gracious God is testing our faith. And he's testing our faith not because he needs to know whether our faith is genuine or not, but because we need to know. We need to know. It is for our own good that through testing we may grow in maturity. You see, so if we look at verse 4, it ends with the phrase, lacking in nothing. That's the goal of our steadfastness, that we may be mature Christians, perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. And then on verse 5, James begins with, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. You see, God is reminding us that we are in this journey called the Christian life and we are striving for maturity. 
completion, wholeness. And yet, we come up short. We're lacking. And so God, God's word is now describing to us what we are called to do in the times of trial when we see that we are lacking. We are called to ask God. And you might say, well, what about the if, Jose? I mean, isn't that a conditional statement? If you lack? Well, yes. In the beginning of verse 5, there's an if. And this is a conditional statement, but there are different kinds of conditional statements and sentences in the New Testament. And what we have in this verse is what men a hundred times smarter than I, I, don't, I can't understand that, I can't really explain it to you, but what we have on this verse is what is called a, a first-class condition. In other words, James is assuming to be true for the sake of argument. So our response to this verse is not to ponder whether or not we actually lack wisdom. It's not for us to read and for us to sit here and say, okay, let me see. I have a master's degree. You know, my family is doing pretty well. My business is doing good. You know what? I, I guess this whole message here, man, I'll sit here and listen to Jose. He's kind of entertaining, but, you know, I might not lack this wisdom that James is talking about. Well, that's not the point of the if. You see, James isn't saying some of you lack wisdom and others don't. If you happen to be in the category of those who lack wisdom, then you should ask God for it. That's not what James is saying. James is saying, if any of you lacks wisdom, and I'm assuming all of you do, then ask God for it. This verse, church, is for all of us. Because we all lack wisdom. And God, in His love for us, uses trials to drive us beyond the normal range of our insight, the normal range of our wisdom, and He releases us from the bondage of reliance, and He drives us beyond ourselves so that we can reach out in humility and cry out, I need wisdom! Church, we all lack wisdom. We all need wisdom because you see the wisdom spoken of here is not your best life now wisdom. It is not Oprah and Dr. Phil sort of wisdom. James is not talking about the master's or the doctorate degree that hangs on your wall kind of wisdom. He's not even merely talking about the I know my Bible wisdom. What God through James is concerned about is that we lack a penetrating understanding of God's perspective. Let me say that again. What we lack is a penetrating understanding of God's perspective. You see, we look all around us and we ask the question, God, why? Why did I lose my job? How am I going to feed my family? Why am I still single? What do you want to do with me? Why is my son or daughter not saved? How do I relate to them? Why is my marriage falling apart? Is it possible to make it work? Why did my loved one die? Lord, how can I cope with this loss? James is talking about wisdom that is necessary in the midst of our trials for spiritual maturity. He's talking about wisdom that is necessary to endure suffering with joy. He's talking about wisdom that is necessary if we are to face trials and grow in righteousness and holiness and wholeness. Church, what is the difference between a believer who faces a trial and perseveres and grows stronger and more mature because of it. And one who faces a trial and rushes into sin in order to deal with it. What is the difference? The difference is wisdom. The answer is wisdom. And that is what James is telling us. He's telling us that in order to reap the benefits of the trials 
that we see in verses 1 and 4, we all need wisdom. Now, I don't know what you believe wisdom to be. But I was able to find a definition for wisdom that I believe lines up with the biblical evidence of the wisdom that James is, is, is talking about. I put the definition on your notes. It says, Wisdom is a divine grace that involves a biblical insight into God's purposes and ways. And you're going to find that little phrase right there. You're going to find it if you purchase the, uh, uh, the commentary on James that um, Corey was talking about earlier on during the announcements. You're going to find uh, some of this definition there. Wisdom is a divine grace that involves biblical insight into God's purposes and ways that leads to righteous living. That leads to righteous living. So I want to break down this definition in order for us to better understand the wisdom that we are lacking. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. This is the reason why we can say that wisdom is a divine grace. You see, James does not say, if any of you lack wisdom, go to college. He doesn't say go to the encyclopedia or go to Facebook. He doesn't say go Google it. Maybe you can find it there. He says go to God because true wisdom is a divine grace. And when we consider true wisdom to be a divine grace, we also need to consider that there is a wisdom that comes from this world. You see, there is a worldly wisdom. And we have to be discerning. We have to, be, we have to steer away from the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this world tells a teenager or a single, what are you waiting for? Everyone is doing it. How else are you going to find true love? The wisdom of this world tells a, a young pregnant college student, this baby will hold you back. You're too young to have a baby. You're too young to start a family. Why don't you just terminate this pregnancy and just wait till a more appropriate time, a more comfortable time? You see, the wisdom of this world tells a man who's, re- who's received an end-of-the-month layoff notice from his boss, don't get mad, get even. Go ahead and cheat and lie and steal all that you can before the end of the month. You see, this company has never appreciated your hard work anyways. The wisdom of this world tells a woman who's unhappy in marriage, you deserve better than this. This guy's a loser. Leave this guy and go find yourself a better man. The wisdom of this world tells a married man who finds a co-worker attractive, go for it. You shouldn't deny yourself. This is the wisdom that comes from this world. And as a matter of fact, James wants us to understand that this wisdom reaps destruction. And in James 3, just a few chapters over, beginning on verse 13, If you just turn the page of your Bible, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. You see, this is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it's earthly unspiritual it is demonic for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists there will be disorder in every vile practice see james is helping us to understand that if we pursue the wisdom of this world it will only lead to destruction because true wisdom is a divine grace It comes from God. It comes from God. Secondly, I want us to see that wisdom involves biblical insight into God's purposes and God's ways. In other words, 
Wisdom is not simply theoretical, theoretical knowledge. You see, there are a lot of smart people that are stupid. There are a lot of smart people who have a ton of information, but they don't know right from wrong. They don't, know, they don't have a moral compass. They're smart, but their lives are a mess. In fact, this whole world, the more knowledge that we get, the more that this world is destroying itself. Men are destroying one another. So wisdom is not theoretical knowledge. Wisdom is not biblical knowledge. See, there are a lot of people who can quote Scripture and memorize Scripture. But that in itself is not wisdom. You see, wisdom is an applied knowledge. Wisdom is a practical knowledge. It is an insight into God's purposes and into God's ways. And as a matter of fact, James in chapter 2, 19 warns, Do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? You say you have faith. You do good. But demons also believe. Demons know their Bible better than us. You see, it's not just biblical knowledge. Now, biblical knowledge is foundational. Please, don't misunderstand. But it's not about biblical knowledge merely. Because even demons have biblical knowledge about God. But brothers and sisters, Proverbs 9.10 tells us, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. In other words, the beginning of wisdom is reverence and awe of God. And having insight into God's purposes and ways leads us to an intimate knowledge of God that produces in us righteous living. It produces in us righteous living. This is why I say that wisdom is not merely biblical knowledge. You see, biblical knowledge that doesn't give you a biblical outlook on life that leads you to act in a true biblical way is not wisdom. Wisdom is always connected with right action. And that's the third thing that I wanted to, for you guys to see. Wisdom, wisdom leads us to righteousness. A wisdom that does not lead you to righteousness is not wisdom. It's not true wisdom. Wisdom is connected with fearing the Lord and doing what is right. It's connected with obeying the commands of the Lord and, 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 and it's connected with, with obedience and folly, which we see in the book of Proverbs also, is connected with disobedience. And so wisdom is a divine grace. It is something that comes from God that gives us insight into God's ways and God's purposes that provides for us a biblical worldview. When we understand who God is, when we understand God's nation, nature, when we understand His ways, when we understand His character, when we understand His salvation, this provides a biblical worldview, an eternal perspective. That no matter what trials we face, that no matter what is coming at us, that no matter what our circumstances are, we can say with the prophet, I do not understand, but I will trust you. We can say, even though the fig tree show, should show no blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, even though the fields yield no food, even though the flock is cut off from the fold and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in you. That is wisdom. That is knowledge that leads you to right thinking. Knowledge that re leads you to right acting in true wisdom. And there are so many scriptures. There are so many references that, that we could spend all day here quoting. But I just want to show you two. And one is... You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. It's Deuteron Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5. And I want you to see this biblical connection between wisdom and righteousness. And, and Moses, 
is just outside the promised land and he's addressing the people of Israel and God is preparing his people to walk into the promised land. And he says to them, See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them. For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. In other words, Moses is telling them that to keep and to obey the commandments of the Lord is wisdom to you. Wisdom is always connected with doing what is right. And then we come to James, the book of James. And James is retelling us everything that God commanded us through Christ. James is concerned to, to fight against against a faith that has no works, a faith that, ha- that leads to no right action, a faith that is just a word faith. And he says to us in chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, he says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You see, James' whole point is that wisdom leads to a harvest of righteousness. Church, we need wisdom. And our Heavenly Father knows we need wisdom. He knows that we need what we need in order to count it all joy. In order to meet various trials and and endure them and grow in spiritual maturity. We need wisdom. Are you convinced? We need wisdom. Guys, no matter what situation you're going through, some of you are going through harder situations than others, but we all need wisdom. Point number two on your notes. God calls us to ask in faith. I made a mistake there. It says verse 6, but it's actually verse 5. Let's read it. It says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. What a promise. Thank you, Lord. What a promise. James understands that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And in our lack of wisdom, He alone is the source of wisdom. And in Proverbs 2, 6 through 7, I'll read it for you. It says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. And what James is telling us here is that if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. My friend, it is important to understand That the basis of our asking, the reason why we can come and ask God is His character and His nature. He is a giving God. You see, James says God is a giving God. We ask God not only because He's the source of wisdom, but because He calls us to ask. You see, this Unlike me with my children, this is a God who delights in giving wisdom. This is a God who is characterized in giving. Now, giving is not the only thing that God does, but it is something that is true of Him all the time. He is a giving God. So notice how James puts this in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives, that is literally saying, ask The giving God. Ask the God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be giving him. James is reminding us of Jesus' words in Matthew 7. You guys remember those? Let me read them for you. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. And which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask Him? God is the giving God. My friends, He doesn't just give any little thing. Church, listen to one of the greatest promises in Scripture found in Romans 8, 32. Okay? Listen to this. Please, pay attention. Paul is encouraging the Roman church, and he starts in verse 31, actually, and he says, What then shall we say to these things? What things is Paul talking about? He's talking about suffering. He's talking about persecution, famine, death, danger, nakedness, all these things. He says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What a promise. Brothers and sisters, this is the giving God and the wisdom that we need in facing trials can only come to us through the source of wisdom, God himself, and we can come to him because he is a giving God and he has given us Christ. He did not spare his own son. How much more will he not give us the wisdom that we need in the midst of suffering, in the midst of affliction? Do you think that he who did not spare his own son for us, do you think that he would hold back on wisdom for you? He did not spare his son. And James tells us that God gives generously to all without reproach. This word generously can be better translated from the Greek as as saying single-mindedly. James is distinguishing God who is single-mindedly focused as opposed to the double-minded man who is unstable in verse 8. And what James is saying about God is that God is, is not an unstable giver. You see, God, he's... He's not like me with my daughter when she asked me for $4. God is not a wishy-washy giver, you know? God is not the God that you come to Him in your time of trouble, in your time of suffering, and you come to Him and you say, Lord, I need wisdom. And God doesn't just sit back and say, hmm, let me think about it. I'll tell you what. I don't know, I mean, I mean, I gave you wisdom the other day. Jose, I mean, you, you keep messing up, man. What is wrong with you? God is not double-minded. God is single-mindedly a giving God. He is focused on His children. And he will not spare wisdom from us, but is prepared to give. God's stance is to give, and therefore, our stance should be to ask. God is the definition of generosity. He loves to give wisdom, and he rescues people like us, from our foolishness, and He protects us by His grace, and He guides us by His truth, and He will give us wisdom that we need when we ask. But not only does God give single-mindedly, purposely, generously, but James also tells us that God gives without reproach. So God gives without insulting. Is what he's saying. Now let me ask you something. How many of you have needed wisdom just once in your life? Sean? Okay. I, I figured, you know, I had you writing down, man. I figured you'd probably raise your hand. Um, 
How many of you are like me, who are hard-headed and who constantly need wisdom? Well, James tells us here that God gives without reproach. You see, God is not the kind of father who says, you keep asking me. You are bugging me. Grow up already. Get a grip on yourself. Get a life. That is not our Heavenly Father. He does not reproach in giving His children. He is prepared to give. And when you come, He does not reject you. When you come, He does not mock you. When you come, He does not laugh at you. When you come... He welcomes you with open arms and He says, what were you waiting for? You came to the right place. See, this this is God. And this is our God. And this is the nature of God. This is the God who is gracious. This is the God who is merciful. He is the God who is unchanging in all His ways. He is the God that delights in giving wisdom to those who ask. However, God calls us to ask. And he tells us how we are to ask. And it's just not just any asking. You see, we... God calls us to ask, and He calls us to ask in faith, without doubting. See, and James clarifies for us the way we are to ask in verses 6 and 8. So look with me, and let's read verses 6 and 8. Let's see what these verses unveil to us. It says, But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. My friends, faith is trusting God's character and trusting God's ways. Faith is saying, God, I know what you're like. I have read your scriptures. I have seen how you revealed yourself in Christ And I know that you are God of grace. And I know that you are God of mercy. And I know that you are a sovereign Lord. And no matter my circumstances, even if my world is falling apart, I know that you are in your throne. And I know that you are in control. And I know that I will hope in you. And I will put my trust in you. And I will wait. And I will keep your commandments. And I will trust you. That is faith and not just any blind faith but faith in God who has revealed himself in scripture as the giving God the gracious God the merciful God you see doubting doubting is denying God's trustworthiness doubting is denying God's character It is denying God's nature. It is saying to God, I know that you have revealed yourself to be gracious and sovereign, but I have to deal with this trial on my own. I have have to overcome this thing in my own understanding and in my own ways. That is doubting. Brothers and sisters, if this describes any of you, this describes any of you. God wants you to know that your weakness doesn't keep you from your Lord. But your delusions of strength do. When you think you can do things on your own, in your own ways, in your own understanding, that is what keeps you from your Lord, from receiving wisdom. 
You see, when James says with no doubting, he's not referring to coming to God with no doubts whatsoever. Let me clarify that. He's not talking about coming in weakness with questions in your heart. James is not talking about coming to God and saying, Why, Lord? I'm not sure. I don't understand. Why is this happening to me? This is not what James is talking about. If that was the case, none of us would receive anything from God. Because the fact is that none of us have perfect faith. Sean? Okay. And so I'm reminded of a story in Mark chapter 9. I mean, if you, if you guys want to open there, that's fine. I'm going to read it for you. I'm just going to narrate the story really quick for you. <clears throat> and this is a story of a desperate father who brings his demon-possessed son to Jesus. And Jesus is not there. And so his disciples, you know, offer, I guess, to help the old man out. And the disciples are trying to cast out the demons from the boys. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears. And Jesus, you know, questions them. And then they, the disciples look at the Lord and they say, Teacher, actually, I'm sorry, the, the old man comes and, and he tells the Lord, Teacher, I brought my son to you, but he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams, and he grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast him out, and they were not able. And Jesus answers them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And as soon as they bring the boy to Jesus, he starts foaming from the mouth, and he drops to the floor, and Jesus turns to the father and asks the father, how long has this been going on? And the father starts explaining to Jesus, you know, that it's, it's, it's a condition that's been from childhood, and he starts explaining to Jesus everything that happens to his son. And so the Lord turns to the man and says to him, After the man said, if you can, Lord, if you can, please help us. If you can. Does that sound like perfect faith to you? If you can, Lord. And Jesus himself says, if you can. Let me tell you something. All things are possible for one who believes. And the old man struggling in his faith. I can just imagine that. Here's his son foaming from the mouth, throwing himself on the floor, destroying himself. And he comes to Jesus and he says, If you can, Lord, if you can, save my son. And Jesus says, If you can, all who believe will receive. And the old man, after hearing the words of the Lord, he realizes that he is weak in his faith. He realizes that, Lord, he just looks at Jesus and says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus healed the boy. See, James is not talking about this kind of weak faith. In fact, as we saw from this story, our Lord, our Lord will always answer the prayers of the weak. We are all weak in faith. And that's not what James is talking about. James is talking about a person that is trying to live in two worlds. He's talking about the doubting person. It's a person who is divided and goes back and forth. Maybe it's a person who goes to church. Maybe it's a person who reads their Bible. Maybe it's a person who prays to God. But in the midst of their trial, God is simply just a backup. And so maybe they lost their job. And so they take matters into their own hands. They have, and they have to fix everything on their own. In their own power, in their own understanding, in their own ways. And James is telling us that the doubting person is one who is driven and tossed like the waves of the sea. So he's illustrating it for us, what it looks like to be a doubting person. He's not talking about the waves that crash into the sea, into, in, into the beach. Because those have one direction, they're all coming to the beach. 
He's talking about those waves out in the middle of the ocean that just go through, they just go all different ways depending on where the wind blows. And that is what a doubting man is like. It is a person who doubts God's character and the nature of God. It is a person that says one minute, okay, God, please help me, and the next minute forgets about God and tries to take matters into his own hands. This is the person who is praying to God, Lord, show me what to do, when, and then they go read their horoscope, or they go listen to Oprah to get directions from them. And James tells us that this person must not suppose that he or she will receive anything from the Lord. This person has a divided heart. The word that James uses here, which is translated in our Bibles as double-minded, is literally translated from the Greek as a double-souled man, a double-hearted man. One minute he wants to trust God, the next minute he can't trust God, and so he lives according to his own foolish ways. Brothers and sisters, what we begin to understand here towards the end of our passage is that God demands, what God really demands is full-hearted devotion. It is not what we, that we never question or that we never doubt, but, but He's demanding full-hearted devotion. He is, he is the, the man that... that He's not saying never doubt, but he is talking about a trajectory of our lives of faith and devotion. And it's like Abraham, who James uses as an example later on in this, in this chapter. Um, and he uses this as an example of faith. And we know from Scripture that Abraham stumbled. We know that Abraham became weak, and at times he, did, he lied about his wife when he feared for his life. But the point of Abraham's life is that he had a trajectory of faithfulness and devotion to God. James' whole point here is that when we come to God to ask for wisdom, in the midst of our trial, we come to God on the basis of his character. We come to him on the basis of his nature. We come to him and say, Lord, I do believe, help my unbelief. And not only that, my friends, but I want you to understand that and be able to make this connection that you see, if, if, if wisdom is a divine insight, a divine grace, it gives us insight into God's purposes and God's ways, uh, that insight gives us a biblical understanding, gives us a biblical worldview, it gives us a biblical perspective, and then it leads us to righteous living. Then we need to be reminded that in the midst of our trials, when we are when our whole world is, is just falling apart, God delights in giving us what we need in order to live according to His demands. So the same God that is holy, the God who is calling us to ask because He delights in making us righteous, He doesn't just sit back and watch us crash. He is intentionally, single-mindedly urging us to come to Him. Brothers and sisters, run to God in your struggle. Don't run away from Him. Run to Him and find the rescue that only you can find in Him. And so when you do the wisdom from above, the wisdom from above tells the teenager or the single person, I have called you to purity. And I have called you to a relationship that is far more satisfying than any relationship that you may desire. The wisdom from above tells the pregnant college student, yes, it's true. You rejected God's wisdom and you find yourself in this situation. But I want you to know that the giving God is also the forgiving God. And if you Repent and you come to me. I forgive you. And the wisdom that comes from above tells 
this young lady. That the life that she has inside of her is precious. It is a God-giving life. And all of us human beings are made in the image of God, and that's why life is precious, because we're all image bearers of God. And says, have the baby. And instruct them in my ways. The wisdom that comes from above tells the man who lost his job to turn to Matthew 6. And instead of cheating and lying, he tells them, do not be anxious. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. The wisdom that comes from above tells a married man to read Hebrews 13.4. Let marriage be held in honor among all And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the adulteress. The wisdom that comes from above tells the married woman who's unhappy with her husband. Read 1 Peter 3 and win him over through prayer and righteous conduct. The wisdom that comes from above is the wisdom that we need in our trials. So maybe you sit here this morning and you have rejected the wisdom from above. And God would address you this morning and He would say to you, For God loved the world so much that He sent His only begotten Son that whosoever believe in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And so if you've rejected the wisdom of God, what you've rejected is the Son of God, who God sent into this world. But God will tell you today, repent. I am a giving God. I am a forgiving God. Repent, and I will give you my son. And he will be your wisdom. Because in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. Our God, if there's anything that we can leave with here this morning is that our God is a giving God, gracious and merciful and loving. And he gives wisdom to all who ask in faith. Let us pray. Father, help us understand, Lord, your nature. Help us understand your character. Father, we are weak. And we need wisdom. We need the wisdom that only comes from you, Lord. Help us, Lord. Protect us from the wisdom of this world. And help us, Lord, seek the wisdom that only comes from you. That we may live lives that are righteous. That we may live lives that are dependent upon you, Lord in the midst of our trials. Father, I pray for those who are 
experiencing much suffering and trial at this time. I pray, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself for the wisdom that they need in order to endure righteously. I thank you for the many brothers and sisters who sit before me this morning who are growing in steadfastness, who are growing in their righteousness and their wholeness and their completeness and who are being made perfect through much affliction. I thank you for your son who suffered on a wooden cross for us. Father, help us. Give us the wisdom, even the wisdom, Lord, to be able to listen to a message like this and to be able to put to practice what we've heard this morning. Because even the wisdom of our obedience comes from you. So may you grant us that wisdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.